Hello everybody, welcome to the Simply Country Podcast. Today I have Laura Hicks with us and we can't wait to hear more about her journey. Hey Lauren, so thanks for having me. As she already said, I am Laura Hicks and I am from Western South Dakota. We like to call it God's country out here. Gorgeous views, open country, more cows than people, kind of the way we like it. I grew up ranching. Um, My dad is a veterinarian. We had a cattle ranch growing up. My husband also grew up ranching on a cattle ranch. And then things happened and we ended up together and we started our own. We started from scratch. Um, It was an interesting thing because the banker told us 15 years into our marriage that people don't make it work the way we made it work, buying land and cattle at the same time. People just don't make it work. I was like, well, I'm glad you didn't tell me that in the very beginning. That's handy. Interesting. So, yeah. So did they give you a reason as to why it wasn't going to work or like why it most most of the time isn't work? Yeah, that the debt to input ratio just doesn't work. You have too high a debt and you just cannot bring in enough money for the amount of debt you take on. Because we didn't start with just, I mean, we started small for our area. But it's all relative to where you live. Um, and around here, it's one animal unit per 20 acres. So, you know, they're just there is more land mass for cattle and so most places are running you know 800 head of cattle at least and we grew we've grown a lot over 30 we've been together 31 years on making that journey start and then also what a great accomplishment for both of those tasks as being with your your husband as well as making this your whole life's passion now that's a long time and yeah i would say that that is a that's not really starting small that i would say that that would be jumping in full full feet forward a <laughs> hundred head plus into the sheep, that was full force when we jumped into the sheep that was full force so. really yeah oh wow that's exciting yeah so can you when you are saying like you're starting from scratch but you still had a a background knowledge of cattle and living on a ranch it's um, we kind of are similar in the same situation where we we also have started from scratch but we didn't have any background knowledge for my family so that's a little bit different on that thing so people always ask me like what do how did you just get started like what does that mean so for you that's kind of good thing to also know that there are loans out there for people to be able to acquire if they needed to start from scratch but that's positive to know that maybe not everybody can start with land and cattle all at the same time. Exactly. We went through um, Farm Service Agency and highly recommend it. You know, we've gotten on to where we have loans through a bank and we have operating loans and all that through a bank, but we still are not paid off. Um, we're hoping that the place will be paid off by the time, you know, we're dead. That's our goal. <laughs> <laughs> we just, we kind of joke in ranching that it's not how long, um, or not how if you win or lose this game it's just how long we let you play it and that's what we're in it for we're just we love what we do really genuinely love i cannot picture my life in any other way i dreamed my whole childhood of being a veterinarian my dad is a veterinarian and that's always what i wanted to be and i say well i just i get a doctor a whole lot of different animals this way just my own yeah so Mm -hmm. well and that's the truth i mean there's often so many times where you have to become your own vet because there might not be one nearby. You have to acquire all the knowledge to be able to take care of your own livestock. That's for sure. Yeah, well, we live um, 30 miles from the nearest little town. Our little town is 1,200 people. We live 30 miles from it. And then from like, you know, the bigger stores, fast food or Walmart or anything like that, it's 100 miles. And we will drive that 100 miles, maybe see six vehicles in that 100 mile trip. 
We are out in the sticks. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you you put a new twist on what it means to live in the country. (laughs) We must pray when we get on these things. Oh, let the internet work today, please, Lord. Because the internet is out here in the middle of sticks. It's tough. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, thank you for making your internet work. Let's let's thank the thank the internet yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, it's such a pleasure to have you on here cuz like I said, um off our recording is that I found you off of Instagram. So that's where I have kind of followed the ins and outs of your journey and um you and I were talking and trying to find a time that was going to work for you and you're like, "Well, we're moving cows." And then now that I know the whole ins and outs of that of what it means where you guys started with 100 and now you have more than 100, that's a lot of moving cattle. <laughs> it's a lot of cattle. Well, we don't just we don't just do our own. This is the busy season and for us in western South Dakota, I know it's not the case for everywhere around the world, but western South Dakota, western Nebraska, Wyoming, we all still go help neighbors to work cattle. And so, you know, for us, we've got several bunches to move home from summer grass, but we also go help our neighbors, you know, move theirs home from summer grass and preconditioned calves, which just means vaccinate, you know, booster their shots and preg check cows and ship calves. So it's pretty much everyday riding almost. Wow. That is pretty cool that you guys have that many that big of a community that you guys all help each other because we we have a couple of neighbors that help us out around here but most of the time it is my husband and I and you know our parents that live nearby so that's pretty cool that's like the true meaning of the country living and having an agriculture community around you I think that makes it so special we had a guy out here that was originally from Scotland I met him through the dog trial world um, and he came out he lives on the east coast and he came out here and he said I get why you guys are all so nice to each other you don't have a choice you're fully dependent on each other aren't you I said yes we are, yes, we are. <laughs> that's so. pretty cool yeah that's mm-hmm. exciting wow okay so tell me a little bit more about so you told me about how you got started so what kind of lessons have you taken away after this 30 30 long years of ranching and farming i guess i would say the biggest lesson is never stop learning never i mean i came into this from birth there's never been a time i I mean i was on a horse before i could walk there's never been a time i have not been around cows in my life doesn't mean that we you we very much in ranching a lot of times you just go by what the generation did before that's just what you do well there are new ways and the world is different now than when i was a kid and we have to adapt and learn or you're going to be out because the business side of ranching i didn't understand as a kid and it's a whole different world as the business side of it and keep growing we have so many different irons in the fire because you just can't go just on one thing. You have to have irons in the fire to keep things going with ranching. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Yeah, so for us, we diversify as much as possible. So instead of just having cattle, we got sheep too because the multi-species grazing is actually really good for the land, you know that. Um, It's also for us for hay, we are dependent on hay a lot because we have such long winters cattle will eat just about anything on hay for the most part sheep are very picky so we'll run the sheep through first and and eat hay and then the cattle follow up and we'll eat the semi stuff that sheep will leave so we're utilizing more of our hay that way we diversified also by starting a trucking uh, company Uh, my husband started trucking back when we were first together and i had toddlers so i was home calving by myself with two toddlers while he started the trucking business it was challenging we didn't have four wheelers or anything. So it was pretty much horseback with a two-year-old and a newborn strapped to me all the time. So 
but we made it get a start on it. And then now our oldest son is back in the trucking business with us and running full time, pretty much full time, hauling cattle and hay and gravel. So lots of irons in the fire. Yeah, definitely. I think that makes it a huge difference. Like you said, I'm glad you had mentioned that because uh, if we're just speaking openly, beef prices are down, <laughs> feed prices are up. Uh, I talk to so many people who are like begging for people to take take their cattle off their land for them because they just can't afford it and because it's just they have often said like it's just not the same anymore or my family doesn't want to take it over and so then therefore I'm too old to be able to run all these cows and so like you said having a lot of different irons in the fire so then that way you can continue to be successful to to make it work as long as you can I think that's a great way of saying it so for you that trucking business a lot of people have construction businesses off the side or they're doing some sort of marketing in order to bring people to their farms and ranches to allow that so that's a good thing to notice because a lot of people think that oh you know the cattle make make the whole ranchers filthy rich <laughs> no <laughs> that's, that's, not not true. that's not true that's not true <laughs> exactly. well, i think you have to adapt to every season like so we've been through a drought this summer terrible we just got rain last night thank you jesus so we got an inch and a half i mean we're kind of doing the happy dance out here but uh we have to adapt to what the season is so normally we take calves into background my husband loves to feed calves just his favorite thing in the whole world and so we take in background and calves but we're not going to be able to because hay prices are five times what they are normally and we didn't we put up a third of what we normally do you know we normally put up close to about five thousand big round bales we did 2000 this year. It was, and that's good compared to a lot of places. So you just have to adapt every year what the seasons and the weather bring you. Yeah, definitely. So would you say that it is important for you to learn to roll with the tide roll and. Oh yeah. <laughs> roll with the punches every year, every, I mean, each month, honestly, things change. So. Yeah, definitely. And so I, you also have a different side of things because you are pretty passionate about your working dogs, right? I am. I am. I started with uh, working dogs. Pretty much. I mean, my dad had working Australian shepherds as I grew up, and then I've had healers. But I got into border collies. I was trying to do the math on when that was. It was 2000, so that many years ago. Yeah, 21 years ago, I got into border collies and started training them for ranch work first, and then started competing with them in dog trials and sheep and cattle. And they've taken me around the country to different trials. I've been as far east as Pennsylvania and down to. Texas and the West Coast and that's really cool and so would you be considering yourself as a breeder or do you take on training do you teach people how to train what is what's it look like for you in different seasons over 21 years I've been all of those uh it just depends and I always thought as my kids got older I would have more time and it's proven to be the opposite because they're just not around as much so you know it just hasn't worked out to travel as much yes I do breed my last litter was like three years ago so I don't do it very often. I only do it if I want a replacement. I do not train outside dogs anymore. I did it one time, but mine suffered so much. You know, you just don't ever make time for your own because you're working other people's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and I don't, I don't do many lessons or anything like that. I have in the past, but right now with our time schedule and how much we've grown in the cattle industry, 
I just don't honestly have much time. It was all I could do to squeeze this in today. So yes, well, I appreciate you doing that. So I know it's, your time. Your time is so valuable. I mean, that is a huge commodity right there. Well, we have border collies as well, and they are just such a lovely breed. And I, I mean, I I need to take some lessons from you. So if you could be posting some videos so we can learn, okay. that would be super helpful because Winston loves loves chickens, but he he runs underneath the coop and he just sits there and he just stares at them. They have such a cool herding ability of just being able to lock focus on whatever it is. Um, but my direction and like you said, the timing of everything, I don't have um, the ability to give him the directions yet as to where to put the chickens. Not like the chickens need herding, but he's just passionate about it. <laughs> well, what he's doing there is using his eye. Border yeah. collies try to hurt things. I mean, they will bite if needed, but for the most part, border collies can control things. We call it the mom stare. You know what it is. You give that kid a stare, and they're like, "Okay." Dogs yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I know. They're really. Cool. I do have some. I do have some uh, videos up on YouTube on my okay. YouTube channel for like beginning trainings because I've had so many requests for that. You know, and yeah. so I just it was easier to put up a couple videos that way. So definitely. And so, where can people find your YouTube? Um, it's just under Laura Hicks on YouTube, or you can find my website at laurahicks.org and it has all the YouTube and social media links and all that on my website. That's wonderful. That's pretty cool. That one was taken, dang it. So I had to go. (laughs) (laughs) So would you say that, um, when you're talking about working dogs, you've grown up with a lot of different types of working dogs. Would you say border collies? How would you, let me back up. What type of working dog would you suggest for a person who would just be getting started and they felt like they needed to have a companion for their ranch? Oh, I, I would recommend a Border Collie, honestly. I, I Between Australian Shepherds, Healers, I worked with Kelpies. Kelpies are a good one too, that'd be another one. I like eyed dogs. Um, Australian Shepherds and Healers are looser. They mostly drive, they do not gather. And I want a dog I can send across to draw. We have a lot of tree draws, and I want a dog. I can. I don't want to have to ride down across the rough stuff. That's what I have a dog for, so they can go gather the rough stuff. And what I have found between training all those different breeds, border collies are super biddable. They're very trainable. They want to do what you want them to do. The hard part after helping a lot of people get started is that people get frustrated because they don't understand that the dog is learning by repetition. And they've been teaching them whether they wanted to or not. They don't think, oh, I'm not going out to train. doesn't matter. The dog is learning every minute. And so if you're not focusing on, okay, well, he's repetitively chasing the chickens every day, doing it this way, and then you ask him for something different, he goes, wait, this is how I've been taught to do it, even though you didn't consciously teach him to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Very cool. I'm glad that you have kind of distributed the difference between those different types of dogs would you have you had any experience with like the great pyrenees where people use that as like their protector working dogs yep i've had a pretty much well i've had great pyrenees um anatolians and right now i have akbosh that live out with my sheep full-time uh i'm a i'm a fan of the akbosh just because of the shorter hair and they stay with the sheep better but great pyrenees are great the one thing i will tell you if someone wants to get a livestock guardian dog you need to know up front, they're not as trainable as, as a herding breed. They're just not. They have a great instinct and they know what they're doing, but you're going to go ask them for obedience and they're going to look at you like, hi, nope, you're not my master. Sorry. <laughs> I'm on work alone here. That's their job. So <laughs> they're great breeds. And I recommend them actually for settings like, you know, that have kids. What we had one that say she did, she would go out with the sheep at night, but she would come back two miles to be with my kids if she heard them outside. And she saved my youngest from a rattlesnake. 
I would highly recommend them to families, but I don't recommend them for city living at all. No. Right. Yeah. Well, because I've heard like they're barkers or they, mm-hmm. you know, if they can find a hole in the fence, they'll take it and they'll, they'll just be beelined away. Is that kind of true? I've never been able to contain a livestock guardian dog. They're going to go where they want to go. I put one in a horse trailer one time with little slats, little slats. She got, I'm still to this day, have no idea how she got out. She got out. I know. Some animals just have the Houdini factor to them and we'll never be able to know. We'll never know. <laughs> yeah, and a good livestock guardian dog is going to do whatever they have to do to get back to their livestock. They will. I've had them chew things apart and they are barkers. They are like, we lay them around the house, pretty close to the house. Ugh, it'll about dragging nuts for about a month because they're barking at every little thing that happens. That's yeah. why right now we're four miles from home and I'm like, yay. <laughs> right. Because you're like, hmm. mm-hmm. but, but you can trust them. You know that that's, I mean, those are good factors. I mean, even though it's annoying for us, <laughs> it's really good. It's really good for that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't run sheep without livestock guardians. We have um, a lot of mountain lions around here and they have, we one summer before we had the guard dogs we have now, we lost 70 head of lambs, predators. You can't stay in business long enough to do that. So we lost, we've lost two in the last three years since guard dog, this different guard dogs. That's yeah. a huge, huge, huge difference. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think that's part of one of the hardest things too, is that not only is it your investment, it's your life. It's also just so emotionally draining to like go out and go, oh my gosh, we just lost another one. We've lost three calves this year to a mountain lion and then one to a stillbirth. But gosh, it's like, like you said, you couldn't, you couldn't stay in business, but outside of business too, it's just emotionally draining to just, you're putting in all this time and effort and then it feels like it's for nothing. It's just, it's so terrible. I think that's the hardest part to explain about ranching, in my opinion. We're given a chance to steward these animals and yes, it is a business. You know, if you have too many losses, you just can't stay in business, but there is no way you do this without being emotionally invested. You cannot, not, at least I can't anyway, not be emotionally invested in this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. So as we're on that hard topic, what kind of, what has been one of the hardest lessons for you to learn? And what kind of, what can, what can you take away from now? Like being a separate from it, what, what have you learned? The hardest thing for me, because I am one that would just as soon put up calluses and, and not have to deal with emotions. It's just my personality. It's my background. I don't want to deal with emotions. Is having a soft heart while still having, you know, tough shoulders. That that balance is really challenging for me. Because if I if I feel a lot of emotion, I just want to go curl up in a ball. And you don't really get that luxury. You know, if you're in the middle of a blizzard and you're pulling a calf out and he dies and you've got to pick yourself up because there's more calves that want to go on. And so, you know, being, but not also not closing yourself off to feel it because that is really challenging. A lot of, you know, my kids grew up ranching. I've had, we had, we had a really hard loss one year, seven years ago. And my nephew was here five years old and he, I mean, he lost 90 head of lambs in a blizzard. It was so bad. And he was like, here's another dead one, a five-year-old, just like no big deal, you know, chucking them on the dead pile. It's part of life. It's what we get used to, but not getting so calloused that you lose the joy in this life too. And I definitely feel like we are so fortunate to live this life that not everybody has this capability. So I think it's important that we tell these stories, um, but also remaining to open to the public that, you know, we are human and here we're just sharing our stories. That's what I find the, the biggest struggle on Instagram is sharing. I want to share as much as possible, but I also know sometimes that's really challenging to see 
the really hard parts, you know, putting a calf bed back in a cow, you know, when she slipped her whole uterus out, people don't necessarily want to see that we've had to hang her up, you know, by her feet to get that gravity to, you know, I just don't know that a lot of people really want to see that. They want to see the beautiful views and they want to see the fluffy calves and all that. And I get it. It's hard to see the hard, but if we don't share the hard, I think people get this misinformation that ranching is just this idyllic romantic lifestyle. Right. And good and bad to it. Definitely. I agree with that 100%. Um, so you've you've been sharing your your whole life on social media. How long have you been doing that? Oh, geez. I don't know. I should have looked. Honestly, a couple of years. A couple of years, mm-hmm. for sure. I've been sharing. Uh, I've shared probably just personally for seven or eight years. But I think three, I think, is what I've been sharing, you know, our, our ranching life and our faith and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And do you feel like that has um had an impact in your in the business side of ranching and farming or none of it I just do as an advocate I'm not really doing it as a business side we still sell and do everything very traditionally I'm not selling things through Instagram or anything like that um yeah I mean I wrote a book so it's made it easier to sell a book through that but short of that you know I don't really use it as a business just more of advocating and sharing my faith that way okay hold on you just combed <laughs> over the fact that you are an author, and I didn't know. I'm really bad salesman, too. <laughs> so tell me about that. Where can people find your book? What's it about? Give us a synopsis. It is on my website, orahicks.org, or on Amazon, or Bookwalker, any of those. It's one my dad and I wrote together. My dad grew up in a situation where his dad left, and his mom raised him in the Ozarks of Montana with seven other kids, or six other kids who was seven. And uh, yeah, and so then we wrote stories of that and how our faith has shaped us and how grandma's faith changed our legacy. You know, instead of being a bunch of outlaws and losers and losers, we ended up, you know, there's a bunch of us in ministry now. Wow. That's yep. really it's called Ripples. Learning to let go of the past and leave a new legacy. How long, how long ago has, have you written that book? Two years ago. Wow. I've got another one. I'm actually hoping to be done with by Christmas. That's going to be more about lessons about the good shepherd from a shepherdess. Oh my gosh, look at oh. you. Congratulations. <laughs> I like to write, but 90% of my book or anything, my blogs, anything, get wrote, talk to text on my cell phone as I'm either writing or feeding or, yeah. That's cool. That's exciting. Good for you, Laura. I'm so happy Thank for you. you. We, Thank you. We just wrote a children's book, and so many people on social media have just said, like, how do you get started? How? So that is so cool to meet another author and, um, and making it more real to other people, our <laughs> listeners, that anybody can write a book you know it doesn't yeah. it doesn't have to be someone super fantastic of writing you can you can have a text to talk and then produce <laughs> a book talk. that's so cool yeah. yeah just squeeze it in in the time you have if you have the words they'll come out they'll come out wow yep. look at you oh my gosh you have so many things so laurahicks.org is where you can find it and then on social media too so that's excellent um yeah so is there anything other other that you would like to share with us about some of the information or interview that we have today that you think that other people should know about you or tips and tricks? Well, I mean, the biggest thing I think is that we need to be sharing more about women in ag. I think there's a, there's an off, I mean, I'm very lucky that, you know, I live in a very male dominated world, but yet treated equal. I'm different, but I'm equal. And I love that. I love that I live in a society that does that. And we are, you know, it's so funny. I was telling somebody else the other day, they were shocked that I ranch. They didn't know that about me because they hadn't just found me. You ranch and, and you actually are out feeding and riding and all this. I said, yeah, 
you know, the funny part is, is there's only 2% of us in the United States that are actively involved in agriculture, right? But in my world, 90% of my world around me locally is in agriculture. So until the internet came along, I didn't know that there was other people didn't know about agriculture. Right. So it's so important to keep spreading the word about agriculture, but also how women are involved in it in different roles. And just because I'm out feeding and someone's at home at different seasons, I was at home with little ones. Yeah. Um, it just depends on what your season is. So I think it's really important to keep spreading that. And then the other thing that is in, super important to me, I would not be able to ranch and have the emotional capacity if I didn't have my faith in Jesus. I just couldn't. I shared on Instagram freely. I just, there's nowhere you're going to go. Even in the grocery store, you're probably going to hear it from me because it's just true. I can't imagine, you know, we've been through a lot in 31 years of being together and it would be a struggle bless for me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Those are important life lessons that you share. I mean, I promise you guys are our listeners to be able to take a look at Laura. She has beautiful photos. That's something like you said, you, you do love to share that one, but you just have such a joy for loving what you're doing. I mean, you have a love for animals. Your horses are always with you and you just, you share openly about your whole heart so whether it would be about your religion um the lifestyle and just being an advocate for others to be able to go out and i think it makes it uh, easier for other people to see see life that could be attainable from somebody else's view so then that way sharing your story is so important so continue doing that and thank you so much for taking time today i appreciate it Laura. this was fun lauren this was fun good i'm glad you thought so